My objection is really that I don't like the constructs of the uniform. The kind of what, what, do, what don't you like about uniform? The fact that you're being told what to wear or the fact that people wear the same every day? I just find the genesis of them really curious. So whenever journalists go and do TV or even radio, everybody wears smart jeans, yeah. not white jeans, mm -hmm. jeans, jeans, a sort of hybrid between the jean, the jean and the trouser. Denim, but not to the point that you can call them denim. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I like those. And, uh, them. and uh, probably brown shoes, whether they do or not. Uh, <laughs> not really. Shirt. It's all right, it's providing you're wearing a brown belt. You've got to wear a brown belt, obviously, yeah, yeah. but it, it's journalist, so it could well be a brown belt that doesn't really match the shoes. Listen, we're not on the catwalk here. Get back uniforms. So, and then a shirt and a blazer. And this is from somebody but who says he doesn't care about no, anything. Who seems to, seems I know to really lot care. about it. Yes. Who decided that that looked smarter than, for example, wearing a singleton short? <laughs> uh, firstly, society. Uh, secondly, uh, convention, because Steve says he's got loads of these pairs of trousers. That's because even on radio, there is, there is a BBC convention that you have to wear a pastely coloured shirt with a pair of chino slash jeans, which aren't jeans, to work, unless you are on television in the traditional sense, not as a guest, but as a presenter, in which case it's a suit. There are only two choices, is what I'm saying. Because you're representing the organisation at all times. But what I'm uh, saying is, you know, why yeah. is that smart? Why is that convention that that, that is what counts as smart? Because it's middle-class chic. It's a societal <laughs> construct, and we should break free from these things. What these, about these what paramedics and um, firemen oh, turn up to save your life? Do you, do you tell them to go back to the fire truck and dress down before the, they save this you? This is or exactly you... my point. Yeah, it is, isn't it? There is a practical reason that ah. they are wearing their uniforms, whether that's to be identified by them yes. or because they are... Like I presume that like, like a fireman's uniform is fireproof in some way. No, it's 100% nylon. Yeah. <laughs> Whoosh. <laughs> so there is a reason for them to wear their uniform. Yes, sir. Yeah. The, your policeman. Your policeman wears <laughs> a uniform. Your policemen's of this <laughs> yeah. world. Your policemen. <laughs> Stuart Pierce. Your policemen's wear uniforms so that members of the public can identify them as the police and hide their drugs from them. And <laughs> the your soldiers, your military types, your infantry, they wear a uniform so they know which side to shoot. That's why that works. Or for camouflage. It doesn't always so work, though, does it? Them. Why do people going on television need to wear, to dress in a certain way? It makes no sense. What so would you prefer they wore? Yeah, I mean, so what's, what's the alternative? alternative? Don't yeah. give me a problem. Give me a solution. I want life to be a permanent dress down Friday. No, I think I just... I, I, do you not find it odd that we've decided that shirt and blazer equals acceptable? But if you don't want to wear like a... I wanted a TV thing wearing a jumper. And it was like, it was like I, I sort of... Gone in completely naked. Were you wearing a shirt under that jumper or a yes. t-shirt? Did you, you see have a the collar? collar. There you go. Right, you see. You need to find ah. a collar at least. But the thing Why? is, what did you, you appear? Was on it BBC the jumper you're can't... wearing now? No. <laughs> we can't. This is a jumper is I spend most of my time wearing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. yeah. Is it a fact we can't say you sit if you're dressed as if you were going to the shops? You're going on TV or going on if you if you're on TV especially if you're dressed down. Do people not take you as seriously? But I think that's because people have got prejudices in their mind, and, and I don't know about you three, but I'm anti-prejudice. Are you? Yeah. <laughs> Certainly anti-prejudice. Sure. I'm, still, I'm wavering. <laughs> Carry on. <laughs> I'm thinking about falling on the prejudice side of this fence. Uh, so you, you this week appeared on BBC Breakfast. Yes. Describe exactly what you were wearing. Uh, I was wearing a pair of black jeans. Black jeans that didn't uh, look like denim, so that's acceptable. Yeah, smart black jeans. Uh, a, a nice white shirt. Not not like a, like a school white shirt, like a thick cotton white shirt. Not like, like the meatloaf you used to wear with a frilly. Yeah, no, with yeah, frilly. Yes. And the blue blazer. And I was wearing a sort of brown... You were wearing a blue blazer with black jeans. It works, don't worry. No, no tie. I accept that. No, no tie. tie. No tie. So you're like you're going boating. But that, so that's the other yeah. part of it, is yeah. that 
that you, you're willing to go sort of smart enough, but you're like, well, I'm not wearing a tie. I'm not an idiot. Would you describe mm. yourself as business casual in that? I look like a man who was trying to have an affair. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I look like. But I was wearing, pulled it off brilliantly. So I was wearing, I was wearing, um, these bre- these they're, like, they're sort of trainers, but they're not quite trainers. Is having an affair shoes. something you try to do? Is it? Is there not like a success or failure? Is there a I, success or failure to it? Or is I it, am a know? very lazy man. If I was going to have an affair, it would be a huge effort for me. All those like having two phones, deleting your texts, no, far too much effort. Anyway, I've told Kate that she knows <laughs> it's it's fine. So she knows, yeah, you're a safe. But bet. I was wearing these. these <laughs> So basically, if Kate I wants you to have an affair, she'll have to instigate it and make all she'll the She'll have effort. to do a lot of the work. You're only not having an affair because it's too much trouble. That's why most people don't have affairs. I see. Anyway, anyway. We've, we've, mm. we've gone off on a tangent. <laughs> That's not But I was, wearing, I was wearing... <laughs> I came back, I was quite nervous. It's BBC Breakfast. I'm not necessarily a breakfast TV person. I've got, I've got Dodge to watch and stuff, but... The Since when did it become plural? Kate, uh, <laughs> I sometimes walk strangers' dogs. Yeah. The <laughs> Just wait for somebody to. Would you mind? A dog, dog that's tied up outside Tesco Extra on his leash is Rory did you like, past. So, I love that one. So, did you like Breakfast TV before you had Hector? Or have you always not been a fan of Breakfast I TV? Is, I can't. I so the dog is immaterial in all this. I've no, got dogs I, to walk. That's why. I, I wouldn't. It's the same as the one show. I wouldn't necessarily have yes. the t- have the TV but on at that stage in the day. Is not mainstream. Yeah, let's not blame no, Hector not for the fact he that. doesn't like breakfast. It's TV. more that with with the one show. I'm on safe ground with the one show. I'm never going to be invited on the one show. It's, with the one show, I, if I if I want to watch television, I'll put something that I want to watch on. I won't put a melange of various subjects that I might want to watch on. I'll put something that I'm actually, especially in this age of TV. But anyway, this is getting away from the story, which is, I was quite nervous about doing BBC Breakfast because. I'm intimidated by Dan Walker, and the, <laughs> which is odd, he's a very nice man. Very nice so, man, and sartorially, very perfect. particular. Always hits the note. Very hits, particular. Yeah. Anyway, so I wore these, I thought, I'm not going to wear, like, like, wedding shoes, I'll wear smart trainers. I'm a relaxed man, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sort of take on the man by wearing smart trainers. So I go to Salford and do BBC Breakfast, and it sort of goes okay, I don't think I embarrass myself, I always think if I don't swear, that's a success. Mm. Uh, I regard the podcast as the same. Come back... <laughs> Said to Kate, I texted Kate and said, um, "How did I do?" And she went really well. Hector got really confused. He thought the television had eaten you, <laughs> and he just apparently after she turned it off, Hector just sat staring at the TV, waiting for me to come Aww. out of the television, uh, thinking, why, "Why is my friend in there?" Anyway, mm. I came back. It is worth clarifying for any new listeners that Hector is a dog, Hector's not a dog. Yeah. child. <laughs> Hector's a yes. dog, uh, and the I came back and I said to Kate. As you, you do, how did I do? It's quite important. I don't want to create a bad impression. She went, yeah, you were really good. You were really good. You didn't, you know, you, were, you, you seemed really comfortable. Why did you wear those shoes? <laughs> and that was her immediate feedback was, why did you wear those shoes? It just completely deflated it's me. It's a very superficial medium. It really is. So it, it was really a full is. head, obviously a head to toe. And maybe they did one of those yeah. like lingering this morning shots normally, to see what I was wearing. <laughs> normally you just see the... But it's, you're the stu- it's, it's the, 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 the studio-wide. Studio oh. Yeah, they're, those like shoes sense, are, they're like, they're like tricky to, sense to carry off. Change. I thought, yeah, you'd be able to carry them off, though. You're kind of a man who can wear those crossover. Like Guardiola wears them, doesn't yeah, he? He wears yeah, them with yeah. a suit, and it yeah. just looks right. If we wore them, it'd look a bit silly. We should say we're going to be um, potentially interrupted during this conversation because of... Uh, is it Dave or Dave's mate? Jake. Jake. Dave's, Dave's mate Jake, who is doing your carpets? Yes. Well, he's doing a carpet. A carpet, just one well, carpet, one tile? he's not doing tile? the carpet because we've messed up. So he's just doing the underlay. All oh, right, I see. That's so Jake will have to come back. Jake will, Jake will have to come back at some point. That's what yeah. Spanish carpet fitters use, isn't it? Underlay, underlay. Oh, my yeah. God. Sorry. Chin. Sorry. Sorry, everyone. We're genuinely Sorry. thinking and uh, have had conversations <laughs> to this effect. You know Chinch puts a, a joke every so often on our WhatsApp group. Yes. That, that you all ignore. Yes. That we all ignore because, because that's all that's We worth. don't want to encourage you, Chinch. That's why. They're that bad. I'm not a quitter. We're thinking about having a, a Chinch's joke of the pod. 
Okay, no. Um, what? Which, yeah. which would allow him a wider audience so that they can all share in our pain. And uh, perhaps, perhaps now is the moment that you, this is your first joke of the yes. pod. Do you want to quickly do the first joke? The one of the that pod? I made up myself that I didn't actually read anywhere. I did make this up myself. Which on a you dog shouldn't walk. admit to making up yourself. You, I'm sure, too much Rory, you found it funny. Either. Go on. Why does Notorious B.I.G. not like to go on holidays? Because he hates to pack. That is quite a good joke. That that's is a good joke, joke isn't it? So and I, that is copyrighted. That Chinch is Enterprises high Limited. Watermark. Can you walk me through the process? <laughs> Please don't. No. You were on a dog walk. With Lola and Dexter. Yeah, I think about a lot of things as I'm just, you know, strolling along, picking up some excrement. <laughs> things go through my mind. Dark and, things. About Notorious B.I.G.? About anything and everything. And I just, for some reason, uh, Tupac came to mind and I thought I could play on words there. The guys will like this. But only you did. Did the guys like it? I liked it. It is quite good. Come joke. on, Steve. No. You come up with no. an original joke that's better than that I don't believe that that's one. an original joke. It isn't, why would I lie to you? Look, I've got honest eyes. Haven't I? Look deep into my eyes. You can swim in them. And they're honest. <laughs> Come on, Stephen. Why would I lie to you? Welcome to Set Piece Many. This is the podcast where four friends talk football over food. I am Hugh Ferris. I am joined by a man described recently as a beacon of reason and insight, Rory Smith. Mm. A man who spent the weekend describing scenes of terrible finishing and flares in France and Germany, Steve Wyatt. Hello. And a man who almost always describes himself in the third person, which is not at all worrying, the chinch, Andy Hinchcliffe. There's only myself and Ashley Cole that do that. So you keep yourself perfectly fine. Is it a left back thing? Mm. Uh, so not only are we going to be uh, potentially interrupted by um, some carpet fitters, underlay fitters, um, but also owing to the fact that you've had a very busy morning already, Rory, uh, at whose house we are going to be recording the next two weeks worth of podcasts. Uh, so thank you very much for your hospitality. It's quite all right. You have promised us that we will have food next time because you've been too busy. I, I, I am too much of a media sensation to cook. <laughs> sensation. That was going to be a different word before you realised it might be offensive. Yeah. Um, but we do have, and both your boss and a whole series of listeners will be slightly upset that we are once again resorting to... Millionaire Marks and Spencer's Millionaire's Mini Bites. There are, as a result of our slightly tardy start to this podcast, only about three left. Um, do get in touch with us at Set Piece Menu if you have any concerns about, once again, our culinary choices. Setpiecemenu at gmail.com uh, is the email address. Before we continue, thank you to everyone who has already signed up to our Premier League Table Predictions League Contest Spectacular, which is, again, a title that we are currently workshopping. Mm. Uh, if you haven't, simply do it now. We'll wait. Can I change my listing? Yes, you can. And funnily enough, one. That, uh, that prompts me to mm. uh, help other people with questions just like that. Okay. Uh, we've put the link on the Set Piece Menu Twitter account and we'll do so again. All you need to do is click on it, enter your team name, and then put the 20 Premier League teams in the order you think they'll finish in May. And then we have a tremendously simple scoring system that rewards how close your prediction is to the reality. And we arrange you all in a league table. You'll be able to see your progress throughout the season. But you do have until the 1st of September to both register your predictions and then check change them should you want to. So, for example, if you are like Andy Hinchcliffe and put Huddersfield 20th and realise that for about 24 hours they're actually top, uh, then you can change them. <laughs> but I remind everybody, it is the end of the season Premier League table that you need to try and predict. If you're not on Twitter, you can still just Google Set Piece Menu Twitter and find it there without having to actually log on to Twitter. Um, the prize, 
is of no monetary value whatsoever. So do enter now. You can edit your selections until the end of August, end of the transfer window. Uh, no need to wait to register, though. It's much less of a commitment than fantasy football, the proof of which is in the fact that I am already furious I chose the wrong captain for week one. So don't do that. Do this. Head to the Set Piece Menu Twitter page, give us a follow, and click on the link to register your predictions in the Set Piece Menu Contest for Predicting Premier League Final Table Predictions League. Can you shorten that to anything? No, I think that's just about as, as You are accurate. not good at titles. Which is why you came up with the title of the podcast. That is the Fitter. Thanks, Jake. Hello to you too. to be quiet. Uh, there is no, there's no quiet with carpet fitting. No. Uh, the bigger worry is that Kate is currently on Skype having a meeting at work, an important work meeting yeah. about... They're having a meeting. I told you this earlier. They're having a meeting, a team meeting, about the value of team meetings. Which is <laughs> <God>. <laughs> the best meeting you can possibly have. That sounds even more pointless than the conversation we're about to have. Yeah. So actually, it's Kate thumping, and I think Morse code help is what she's yeah. saying. So to our subject, pithily summed up by this question. <laughs> Thanks, Jake. <laughs> when will it all end? Now, this is not, as my wife Gemma suggested, relating to the football season. After one week, she has had firmly enough and asked if we were asking, when will it all end? <laughs> it relates instead to transfer fees, or more widely, the oceans of cash in which football swims. We've had a lot of conversations about transfers and money over the last few weeks, but bearing in mind we'll hopefully have a natural end to this subject once the transfer window closes and that PSG have just more than double the world record fee for Neymar. We thought we would grab it while the iron's hot. And the hot iron in this slightly tortured analogy might not just be transfer fees either. It also involves the broadcast rights deals and perhaps investment from China and elsewhere too. When will it all end? Jake? Thank you very much indeed. Next Thursday, says Jake. <laughs> this topic was Steve's suggestion. I'm sure the slightly furious, exasperated tone of the question told you that already. I feel like you need to unload, Stephen. Well, it was, it was born out of frustration reading arguments about how already, just around the corner, at the bidding process for the next round of Premier League rights, we're just getting used to the fact that the team that finishes bottom of the Premier League will earn enough money to, to run the NHS for a year. The fact that we've just had our first £200 million footballer, Neymar's move to PSG, and that you know, clubs like Manchester City are spending £120-£130 million on, on full-backs alone. Most pos- the- important position in the whole. I don't think that's a, a big part of your argument. I'd, I'd ignore that section. Full-backs are massively important well, we'll in the modern game. Get back to, to the issue hmm. of what you would have been worth yeah. in the modern oh, game. Let's, let, let's not. Not Andy. again. And it, it just seems to me that there's got to be a tipping point at some point. I know we say this but basically every every year, certainly every Premier League right cycle, but when will the tipping point come that fans will just feel that they've become alienated by the game that they that they love, they probably still still do love, but they can no longer associate the game they enjoy watching with the huge amount of money that's being spent, that's being generated, yet they are still expected to travel at inconvenient times to matches, pay over the odds uh, for their tickets. And I, I, I'm, I'm worried, actually, that the Premier League might be eating itself. Or that football, not just the Premier League, but that football in general might so be that eating itself. 1990s band Pop Will Eat Itself, just make it instead of PWI, PL. Yeah, yeah, like yeah, Premier yeah. League will eat itself. There's an interesting dynamic <laughs> between, cool between fans and, and kind of the money in football though isn't there because it does all come from fans effectively mm. it comes from fans in the form of TV subscriptions in the form of, of ticket sales obviously it's the fans who buy the shirts it's the fans who buy the products that advertisers want that money that we talk about with football which we tend to talk about in a kind of disjointed way as though it, it's conjured from the ether it isn't it comes directly from all of our pockets that's that's where it where it starts but at the same time fans don't seem to object to it when it's their club spending that money on players it's people want ticket prices to come down. They want Sky to cost less and BT to cost less. And they want, they want it to be 
more uh, more like it was in the 70s and 80s in terms of its of its accessibility if not in terms of the actual product itself but at the same time if 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 the clubs all got together and said, right, do you know what? We're actually not going to spend a huge amount of money on players this summer. We're uh, we're only going to spend what we make through ticket sales on wages. That's it. Fans would be furious because it would be a sign that they're not competing. So I, I know what you mean, that there is that sense of disenfranchisement, disenfranchisement. That's without question true. But at the same time, I think fans have got so used or so accustomed to existing in this world where there is all this money that I don't think it's likely to be some sort of kind of public rejection of the status quo that, that stops it. All bubbles burst. You have to assume that the bubble will burst at some point. But I don't see any sign of it coming at the moment, I've got to admit. OK, we'll get, we'll get to, the, to the end at, at the end. So when will it end will actually be answered, funnily enough, as part of some sort of conclusion. But the um, unconventional approach, you. but we'll give it a shot <laughs> for you. It's not like us to be chronological in any way, or indeed ordered. But... You, you, Steve, you, you just have this growing frustration, don't you, that that, there, that the exponential growth has become a little bit too fast, if you like, yeah. because of something like Neymar. Well, the, up, the upward curve is not a gradual one, is not it? Is it? It's a huge spike, a towering spike that shows no... It doesn't look like it's going to level off at, at any point. You know, the, the, the record transfer fee has been more than doubled. Does that mean that a £400 million footballer is only, you know, 12 months away or a couple of years away? And and Rory was talking about, you know, the, the Sky and the BT thing, you know, because I, I work for BT Sport, people often talk to me about the fact that they've either got one or the other. They can't justify having both We've got Sky both. Sports. We've got both. Sky, Chinch. Wonderful representative, representative from both. Mm. But that the people feel as though, as a consumer, they've kind of been let down by the fact that there's no longer just one television company showing all of the domestic football because they have to either make the decision to pay twice or choose which slice of the pie they're going to have. And if, as is being speculated upon, that the likes of Amazon, Netflix, the streaming companies will get involved in the bidding next time around, that, that the, the way that Premier League is shown on television in the UK could be spread even more thinly. And it, it could mean that these fans are being asked to pay not just twice to get their, their dose of live football, but maybe three or four times. Well, strictly speaking, I think the Neymar thing, although it looked like a massive outlier, if you look at the, there was a graph that someone sent me on Twitter, a friend of mine who was an uh, uh, astrophysicist, actually. You're not the cleverest friends I've got. <laughs> you have a friend who's an astrophysicist. He's a friend of my brother's. He's called Ah, Ken. wait a minute. He didn't say that. We, we love Ken. Ken's fantastic. He's a friend of your brother's, really. That, that brother, was yeah. the most cocky I think I've ever seen. Yeah, I've got a friend who's got an astrophysicist. He's an astro- astrophysicist. Yeah. I was just offended that he's got other friends. Not <laughs> that they were more intelligent than I we. I don't yes. really speak to other people in real life. What it's did Ken tell you? Anyway, Ken sent me a graph yeah. that shows yeah. that... Um, that actually, if you if you kind of plot the the world transfer record, Neymar is within within the bounds of being on that graph. It's not a complete sort of way off to the left or higher up or whatever whatever graphs do. Mm. It's kind of in line. And I spoke to a guy a few weeks ago who does a lot of work valuing players for various Premier League clubs, including Tottenham. And his his view was that there is exponential space for growth in terms of transfer fees even now. So it's not the case that that ninety million pounds was is the peak or a hundred million or two hundred million. Yeah. Although Neymar was a, a buyout clause rather yeah. than a transfer fee. Yeah, slightly different. So thing, it's yeah, slightly yeah. different. But his view was that look we, we will have two hundred million pound players, we will have three hundred million pound players, we will have five hundred million pound players. There is space in the market for that to happen. I knew you were gonna do this. 
<laughs> you were going to take my emotionally driven outrage and, and throw it back at me with facts and considered opinion and, and <laughs> experts. No, so the... Well, this, how this, dare this, you? This country, this, <laughs> this country is... Football's not brain surgery or rocket science, you know? <laughs> Tell you what, we've woken everybody up because Jake's been, you know, quiet for a little while, so that would have woken him up, that outburst. This country is sick of experts. I think that the other thing <laughs> Thanks, that's important Michael. to note is that it's, it's interesting that, and I maybe can't express it properly, but... Every time there is a fee that is substantially higher than another fee. Do you know what it is? It's every time football is on the main news, that's when it, when it happens. So fo- something happens in football to do with transfers. Or football journalists are on BBC Breakfast. But no, not even that. <laughs> the, but fo- a transfer happens that's so big it makes the main news. At which point, point lots of people who aren't interested in football get involved and start saying how football is ridiculous and it's amoral and these players don't deserve this money. And it happened when there were 10 grand a week players and it happened when there were 50 grand a week players and it happens now. It happened when there was 100 grand a week players. It happened when Pogba went to United for 90 million. It happened when Roy Keane went to United for 3.75 million. It happens every time there is a sum that is substantially higher. There is this sort of moral outpouring of this is the point at which the game has gone. We have to stop it now. This cannot continue. But all of these figures are essentially meaningless. Because, so take, uh, take Podber. When United signed Podber for 90 million, that was a 90 million pound outlay from a business that has a turnover of 500 million. When United signed Roy Keane for 3.75 million, they were a business that turned over 30 million. The percentage of the turnover is the same, which is what matters. It is no more unaffordable to United now to spend 90 million pounds on Podber than it was then to spend 3.75 million. The, th- the money d- only exists in a relative sense. So as long as they're bringing all this money in, they can afford to do what they like with it, basically. The, que- the bigger question, I think, is whether all of this is sustainable. And that's what we're, w- what probably has to be addressed. Well, yeah, What's that- driving it and, and whether it can last. Well, that's going to ask about the driving forces behind who's spending this money. And do the clubs actually notice, or the owners of the clubs, notice how much they're spending? Do they care about how much of an effect it actually has on the game? Or do they just look at their club, what they want to do for their club in terms of buying a great player or the PR, PR exercise of bringing Neymar to PSG? Do they care? Or are they just thinking about themselves? Well, I think the, name, the Neymar one's really interesting because that was a transfer that was partly a sporting thing to sign Neymar as a footballer. You want a footballer. Yeah. Yeah. It was partly a power play on a sporting level to sign one of the best three in the world. Uh, that's, that banning, by the way, is not Jake. It's not Jake. Jake is, is having a break. This is work happening next door, in fact. Uh, it's a man called, I think, Kevin. He's very nice. He won't work in the rain. Uh, Tom, <laughs> my neighbour, told me. Is he made of paper mache? He's fixing a roof, so I'm pretty relieved yeah. he doesn't work in the rain. I'd, yeah, I'd have thought that yeah. was not the, the ideal environment. That is true. Anyway, it's very, it's very noisy in Disbury today, and I can only apologise. Are um, there any houses locally that aren't going through some sort of renovation? <laughs> this is what happens when you get when you get sort of upward social mobility, isn't it, basically? <laughs> it is. uh, when will it end? When will, this when will it end? Curve. <laughs> the, completely well, they, forgotten what I was going to say. There's no way of progressing up the housing ladder, so you have to improve what you've got. You were talking about Neymar signing on a playing level on a PR level. Thank you, Ching. I'll go back to what, yes, the attention. Yes, for what? I was watching for Kevin. But (laughs) but the other thing is there was a, there was a purely political angle to it, which is there's a blockade of Qatar, so it's, there is a, without question an element of it's the Qataris saying, look what we can do. We can still do this, you can blockade us all you like, we've still got the money to do this. And there's a lot of clubs now where the driving force behind the spending is sort of outside of football. And then there's other clubs Manchester United and Real Madrid being the, the prime examples, although you wonder whether, say, AC Milan might fall into this category in a few years' time, where the act of spending is, at, is in and of itself a virtue. 
So they have recognised that there is a value in having the most expensive players in the world. That makes them... So if you go to... Puffs out their chest, makes them walk yeah. a little bit taller. Yeah, yeah and they, they talked about the social media, the sort of the social media imprint that you get from, from a deal that big. Florentino Perez's view has always been that he would rather sign the player at 25 for 90 million than at 21 for 30. He, that is how he sees the transfer market. Edward Wood seems to have the same approach, if we're all completely honest. He wants to yeah. sign the stars. He's, he, he tried and tried and tried, and eventually the first star that he signed was Jose Mourinho because he couldn't manage to do the deals, I think, that he wanted to with the players. So he decided that any sort of big splash, big signing was necessary. And, and, and actually, Jose Mourinho wouldn't... He's only, what, £12 million a year, so yeah. it's not exactly the same as a £90 million player, but it was the same guiding principle behind it. So what we're saying here is a lot of owners now are buying players for different reasons than actually what's necessarily going to happen out on the field. You're not buying not, bad players. Not Clearly different they're going to reasons, yeah. adi- additional reasons. Additional reasons. But again, is that if you're then buying players for those reasons and not primarily football reasons or to be seen to be spending money or competing with the, the, the big sides in Europe, then you have to spend a bit more. But you surely have to have more available to spend, to spend more. That's how it has to work. So the owners, the driving forces are getting bigger and bigger, whether it be Chinese businessmen buying into football clubs or the Abu Dhabi people um, owning Manchester City or PSG's owners. It's so vast, the wealth that they have, that spending the money doesn't doesn't really cross their minds at all. So whether it be a £10,000 transfer fee or 150 million, it makes no difference because they have the money to spend. So is that where all this is, is kind of, that's why it's growing so exponentially quickly because of the owners of the clubs and how they think about the money they can spend. Yeah, I wonder whether it's a different thing with the big Premier League clubs, perhaps to, to clubs elsewhere in Europe, because I think Manchester City have had to spend an awful lot of money of late to try and improve themselves solely from a, a football point of view. I don't yeah. think any of Manchester City's recent signings have been statement signings. They've been signings made out, out of a requirement to, to strengthen... So the difference when City signed Rubinho in that first that instance, was, that, that was a very different signing than it, than it was yeah. from yeah. the signings. that they yeah. obviously, The money they spent, they spent 50 million, 55 million on Kyle yeah. Walker compared to, what, 30-odd million for Rubinho? So yes, clearly, in terms of they're spending 20 million pounds on a fullback, okay, time has passed. But it's a very different signing in terms of that specifically for the good of the team. Yeah. Rubinho was more of a statement to say this is what we're capable of. Yeah, whereas a, a, you know, a Real Madrid or a, or a PSG more, more latterly will we'll make, will spend an awful lot of money you know, to, to make it clear that they have have the resources to do that. Yes, that player will probably improve their team as well, but they've already, you know, pretty well stocked in regard to, to top class players. So that's that's not the be all and end. So all how can transfer fees ever unless the people that own all these mega clubs then realise they maybe have a responsibility to the game and say it's not about us competing with each other on a financial scale because transfer fees aren't ever going to come down then, are they? And if they, can this carry on? This is what we're saying, can this carry on for another five years and ten years, if the money is there and they're willing to compete to buy all the top, top players, whether they're good enough or not, is this just going to carry on because the money is still there to be spent? Went a bit Jamie Redknapp there, Chinch. Did top, I? Top, 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 top player. He's a top, 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 top player. player. Not, top, not a top player, but a top, top player. How many, top, that, really? how many tops oh. would Jamie give Neymar, do you think? A top, 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 top. Can I, can I just And then emphasise top, top player. player. Jamie Redknapp can give me any of his tops because he dresses beautifully. His trousers are too tight. <laughs> that's and they wear those buckly shoes. I'm not sure what all that's about because I'm not a fan of a buckled shoe with a suit. Unlike, but uh, you need to be careful, Chinch, because he is the doyen of, of Sky Pundits. Is he? Yeah. Is he? Yeah. If, if doyen oh. describes somebody who dresses well. Yeah. Oh, okay. There's no, there's no way he's going to fall into the trap of dispensing with the tie like you, Rory. No. Or, or wearing no. incorrect shoes uh, on Boomsie no. Brown. What I've noticed, though, my question, my question was so searing you've had to move away from that point because simply there was no answer. I can't even remember what I said. So the, 
the, this is the, the 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 nub of the issue. Will it end? That's what we that's what we are here to discuss. That or how can it end? That is the answer we are going to seek that has evaded everybody else for ages. But we're oh, just before <laughs> we'll we, nail it. We'll just before you lot go, we'll 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 sort it out. Don't worry. Thanks. The it's only Brian Cox or the Dalai Lama will sort it. For <laughs> I think those the, two have sh- <laughs> science and religion. I've got to carry on. I've got a question. What? <laughs> only Brian Cox or Dalai Lama? <laughs> what? Yes. Both. But one is, of those two will be able to one of science, Hawking, one of religion. He's been left out of this. Is Brian Cox the only scientist you've heard of? <laughs> uh, apart from your astrophysicist friend, who is a friend of your brother, Ken. Ken yeah. I know him. Ken's a lovely guy. My he really is. My brother's not called Ken. No, no. The astrophysicist Ken, friend of your Ken, brother Ken is, Ken called is called Ken. Ken yeah. yeah. Ken, and also Kate's dad is called Ken. Yeah. Too many Kens around. It's a very solid name, anyway. But uh, do what's I know what's any what's other the scientists? Ken? Oh, Kevin. Kevin any other scientists? So you are saying, or Chinch was trying to say, that you get to the point where this cannot be bigger because simply that you haven't got the players who will command any sort of either buyout clause amounts. It's not the players, it's the money. The I'm going to phrase or it. Or clubs that don't have the money yeah, to be able yeah, to yeah. afford it's it. I'm money. going to pose a different question. No, oh, answer mine first, you damn you. We I'm going to answer your question with a question. So... God, I'm annoying. What am I annoying? I'm such an annoying person. Uh, as long as uh, it's the nub. You said it was going to be the, the nub, so no, make so it the nub. The, I think it's, it's relevant. Let's assume that the TV rights thing and the outside influence in football, the, you know, the, the sovereign wealth funds, the outside investors, the big Chinese gold rush, all that, let's assume that that is all a bubble. Very few things in the history of history are not bubbles. Bubbles burst, empires fall. That is what happens. What does football look like after the bubble bursts, what happens? What do we mean by "will the bubble burst"? Mm. What what it's will like chewing gum all over your face? It's that kind of thing. Isn't it? or, or, terrible, or bubble gum, more terrible. like terrible. Uh, so <laughs> Don't some... be blowing bubbles with chewing gum, Chinch. Why? It's dangerous. You could choke. No, you couldn't. You could choke. Public health warning, Chinch. Don't do it. Yeah, you delinquent on, teenager. Don't be blowing bubbles. And don't chew gum. with your mouth open either, Chinch. Why are you all converging on me in this horrible way? So, what is the post-apocalyptic football landscape? Well, how do we get to that? Because yeah, there, there's, there's, there's two theories in, in what's going to happen next time the Premier League, you know, the, the bidding starts for the for the Premier League rights, which do seem to drive an awful lot of the you know football's economy. Is that the clubs apparently will see anything less than a twenty percent increase as a failure? But that would mean Sky paying something like six hundred million pounds more per season than they're already doing, and there are one or two theories that you know that's already taken them to breaking point. You know, we've seen them relinquish rights to other things like um, some, some of their golf uh, access and com- men's tennis is completely moving over to Amazon, so they're already sort of having to cut their co- cloth accordingly. And the standard of pundits is dropping. Well, yeah, well, Chinch yeah, is Dwight York. next renegotiation. <laughs> yeah. It's going to yeah, good, good luck when you start on a minute. The Chewing gum now, punditry. Leave me alone. But will will Sky sort of look at the beast that they've undoubtedly helped create and sort of decide that they can no longer quite sort of feed it to the same extent? They can no longer Is justify. Is this analogy still chinch or? I don't know. It's like you're going from sirloin steak to tofu, aren't you? Is that what you're thinking, isn't it? You can't feed the beast. Will they say, look, there's other ways that we can use our money to generate, you know, revenue and to to satisfy Mm. our subscribers? And we're not going to keep, we cannot keep throwing £11 million per match that we show at the Premier League. It's it's unsustainable. It's, you you know, we might have to think more carefully about which packages we select, how many matches we show. We, be- we believe that people are interested in other things that we're doing, you know, whether that's, you know, you know investing in TV drama, for example. Professional and that wrestling. Might, profess- yeah, wrestling. Rubbish. <laughs> <laughs> and that, that actually, there might, be, there might be a drop-off, and that is, that is the point at which, you know, things might stagnate. But if they don't do it, somebody else with the wealth might do it. So the, I think it's 
broad, it's, it's how that all changes. Yeah, but that, that would require another, you know, a BT or someone else to come in and, and sweep up and yeah. a huge amount more than they've they done. And, to do that. Yeah. BT are happy with their, their lot. Certainly yeah. in the, the last round, they decided to focus on the Champions League and keep their, their level of, of Premier League because I think they just thought, well, why, why invest the amount that Sky are going to because they're worried about not having it? We don't have to do that. We've got the Champions League as our, as our secondary uh, rights, yeah. kind of golden egg, if you like. So what, if it diversifies even further, won't everybody settle a little bit into their, yes, it will be a bit of a nightmare for the consumer, but won't, won't the broadcast companies or the streaming devices or the social media companies, because Twitter and Facebook mm. have got involved, Twitter have done a deal with the NFL to show NFL games live yeah. as well. What's driven the rise so far, if you take away the individual clubs, PSG, Man City, all that, who've got kind of other reasons for spending the money, is that the Premier League is an, is an existential thing for Sky that Sky without the Premier League up until this point does not have the market share it has. Yeah. I've always been slightly mystified by why they, they are so willing to put so much money into a sport that only a couple of million people at most watch when if you surely if you, so surely if you want to get really big numbers loads of subscribers go and get like Ironside which I'm sure gets more viewers than than Sky. <laughs> and Ironside. 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 I just love Ironside. <laughs> the, the um but no, do you know what I mean? Like I don't know, location <laughs> location, location, location will get loads more viewers than but again, that's, Quincy that, that's MD. Where it, <laughs> yes. yeah. Hey listen, that after neighbours slot on a on a weekday like is that. absolutely yeah. crucial yeah. for no, all it's students. A, it's of course if he comes in sucking a lollipop next week, yeah. you know he's been watching Kojak. <laughs> it's of course to do with with the channel it's on and when it's on and if, all if that. location, location, location was not on at ten o'clock on a on a weekday morning on a terrestrial channel. No one would watch it. No one would watch well, it, so I mean, I think that's people take. I think you're you're undervaluing Phil Spencer. They'd record anyway. it. They'd record it and watch it later. If, no, if Premier League football was on at ten o'clock on a weekday morning on BBC One, more people would watch it. Yes. If East End, if if Sky went and bought EastEnders, which is a more sensible example, you are getting a program that attracts eleven million people, which is a lot more than people than watch football. So there is there is a part of it that doesn't make sense, but then equally it does make sense because football is, and this is the term du jour, is time decayed media media content, which is the golden egg in the current media landscape. It's something you have to watch live. Yeah. You can't box set it, you can't binge it, you have to watch it there and then. Which drives up the, the revenue that you can generate yeah. from uh, from advertising space and which is why NBC in America was so determined to to buy into a much longer deal than initially the Premier League mm. wanted because they, they saw that potential in it. Yeah. And also why they have renamed the channels on Sky to be more aware of how their revenue streams are related to the sports that yes. they are showing. Yeah. So Sky Sports Cricket, how much did we earn from that? Right, cricket's working. Sky Sports Premier League, all that revenue is because of the Premier League. So how much is that worth to us? And so they're much more able to, anybody who's got Sky would have had a whole myriad of um, surveys to say what you watch when do you watch it to help them understand where their advertising revenue streams come from and this is a very very easy demarcation point for them to be able to say well this is this revenue for this sport now we make our our decisions for the next round on that so that that is what has driven up the cost so far is that it, it is existential for sky then bt come in basically with a plan to use football in one form or another to get a greater share of the broadband market although not even to get a greater share of the broad- broadband market, just to stop people leaving BT yeah. broadband. That's why BT is involved in this. There is a, I think there's an acceptance that we might be reaching pretty much the top of the domestic market in terms of Sky and BT. I don't think there is a vast amount further they can go with Premier League rights, those two companies, and remain viable. Does Sky have to lay, lay people off 
because they paid so much. I mean, BT tricked them into paying so much for the Premier League last time. But I don't think Strand wanted to go that high, but BT kind of... Like we were saying, we thought that BT wouldn't be happy with the amount that they had, and yeah. eventually it, it proved that they were happy, and so, yes, that was the trick. Although the irony of all of this is, is that the more money Sky, and B- Sky particularly put into the Premier League, the more money the Premier League has, the more money the Premier League spends on players, the, the better it becomes to watch, the more important it becomes in sort of national life, the more Sky push it. They, they, are, they are synonymous. There is, yeah. there is a, a cycle whereby... Kind of, it doesn't really. The more money Sky put into, same with transfers. The Edward would approach the TV rights. The more money Sky put into the Premier League TV rights, the more they are worth because Sky are provide a bankroll in this whole thing. If we take it as read that they have maybe tapped out at the top, that it, can't, it might go up a bit, but it won't go up a lot. It's the international market that's valuable, and that depends on Amazon and Facebook mm. and Google and all those coming in and Netflix and saying we want this time decayed media content. That this is at least the third set of TV rights when they've been theoretically about to come in and it's not happened yet. The, the problem for them, of course, is... And, and NBC did break the, the way, break up the, the cycle in which the, the, the Premier cycle, League yeah. uh, sell their rights, at least in, in the US. And, and that's perhaps shown that the Premier League are open to new ways of, of thinking. But, of course, the str- for the streaming companies, the problem they've got is that they'd be having to make deals per territory mm. and that devalues it from their point of view you know if if Netflix could do a deal for the Premier League and show it on Netflix all over the world well it becomes an incredibly valuable commodity to them but but the way the Premier League rights are distributed at the moment they wouldn't be able and to do that so they'd be getting involved per territory basically. and they'd never change a Premier League because again back to this isn't Ed Woodward this is um, Manchester United still the, the whole idea of territorialising your revenue streams means that you can absolutely massively yeah. swell it because if you've got a, a chips partner in India and, and a chips partner in Malaysia you get double the amount of money but if you've got a global chips partner that yeah. absolutely plummets so the same reason applies for the territory the territorial uh, idea of the broadcast rights as that's well. a really good I, know, I never thought of that that's a really good point that is the, the most inte- intelligent thing anyone has ever said to me apart from Ken the astrophysicist <laughs> uh, the, that's, that's two in about two weeks that's magnificent the NBC deals 10 years yeah yes. yeah yeah so that means that if Netflix buys the Premier League TV rights, they can't show it in the States. Yes, they'd have to geoblock it in the so, States. So there is, there is. Well, it wouldn't so even be a case. It wouldn't even be a case of like we are buying the the rights and geoblocking it in certain places. If they were to enter the bidding for the domestic rights, they would only be able to show it to Netflix subscribers in, in the UK, yeah. and then they'd be looking at well, do we, can we do a deal for the rights? You know, to show it in France and. You know, it, yeah, it yeah. would be individual countries that they would be negotiating on all the time, and that's that's going to be pretty exhaustive and expensive, and, yeah. and probably not worth their while. Yeah. Um, so maybe that it will it will end when when the threat of streaming services or social media services ends yeah. or or dissipates somewhat because they don't realise it's really worth it that much. The thing with the social media services, and I'd maybe even put Doodle into this and YouTube. I wonder whether the Premier League are so protective of the quality of the broadcast that they might be slightly reticent to let organisations that don't have any experience in that at all start messing around with it, to be perfectly honest. Would that make a difference, though, if the money's... If the money's, the money's, so, if the money's so massive, maybe they'd say, no, all right, you know, we'll take the risk. But yeah. I think that they're so... The Premier League are really canny with the way they, the way that football is projected that I'd be really surprised if they wanted... To so if they did an, ex- an exclusive deal with YouTube. And the other thing, the great unknown with all this, is say it does go to Netflix or Amazon or whatever. I don't, I don't know what the subscriber figures for, for those services are in Britain or worldwide. But you are dealing with so 2 million people 
watch yeah. a really big Premier League game on Sky. That is, that's it. Two million people. That is not in the top 100 things that are watched every week in Britain. Not not anywhere not anywhere yeah. close. The news, you know, you you don't give Hugh Edwards a 300 grand a week con- contract if you wanted to get the most viewers. Will Netflix look at that and say there is a risk that if we buy this, that the two million people who are watching it on Sky might they might have Sky partly for the football but partly for the kids' channels or partly for the films. You know that we are we are basically taking a risk that we can get a relatively small number of customers to our service for a huge outlay, mm. and that is that I'm not sure that's necessarily as attractive a proposition as everybody kind of assumes it would be. There is a reason for them to do it because it is time decayed media content that's really important. But there's also there's a lot of factors that you'd think they take into, into consideration. Say, look, we don't we, we don't want to go. What what is Sky pay? Three point one. There's a whole Sky Sky Sky's currently is four point one eight billion over the three years. Yeah, so you're looking at over one point five billion a year, more than that. Yeah. Oh, no, but no, just just less than one point five billion a year. That is a big outlay for one one year. So, it, so Premier it's the League TV companies, it's the media companies that are going to change the landscape. It's nothing to do with the players being any better, deserving no. any more or less money. The, it's all to do with these external forces and the, the covering of the game the, and how those companies that yeah. maybe want to spend money or don't in different countries or not, it's we will be down to them. The figure, the figures that the, the players earn are kind of irrelevant. They are eye-watering and unbelievable and to some people disgraceful and to some people perfectly natural in a market environment. But they are irrelevant. They're just a reflection of the amount of money yeah, that's yeah. within the game. Mm-hmm. They are no better than they were when you were playing. They might be fitter. But they're I not doubt be- it. Football's not got better. Doubt it. Football's More handsome? <laughs> I doubt it. Worse, <laughs> worse, backs, it. worse haircuts. Worse haircuts. Worse yeah, haircuts, yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But yeah. The, teasing the, the, the overall standard of football is, is probably not, that high, not a huge amount higher. It might be a bit better. Things do get better with time. What's different is that it's presented and projected infinitely better. It's It's... Presented perfectly, it's this this amazing kind of even down to the you know the fans, the full stadiums. That's what's really important. That's what separates it from Serie A. Mm. The fact that you, on TV in Malaysia, the Premier League looks like an occasion. Serie A looks like a big dust bowl where nobody's sitting because people are chucking stuff from the top tiers. That's really important. That's what the the big change is. It is a lead that is effectively sports entertainment football, which is the phrase they use to describe professional wrestling. Football obviously is not predetermined. Mm-hmm. We don't think. Except in, except in, <laughs> certain, except in certain, certain countries, uh, and, but the, it shares a lot of the a lot of the characteristics with that. It's driven by storylines as much as it is by sport. It's not, you know, it's it's driven by outrageous media comments from Jose Mourinho, and it's a big grudge match this weekend, mm-hmm. and and all that's all that's. Burnley all, Stoke, they hate each other. They, <laughs> is this rival, the, the rivalry that will never die? It's West Brom against Sunderland. <laughs> As Roy's voice ever voice. I think I'll be quite good at that. That's quite good. Do you find that you talk a bit more like Partridge when you spend a lot of time with Chinch? <laughs> no, it's mainly <laughs> you. What do you mean it's your to fault. it? You um, two are it's conversant. Why am I why do I get dragged into it? You are the root of all evil, Andrew. Just really? accept it and we'll move on. Oh, okay. We'll move on Fine. with an Andrew Hinchcliffe contribution, the likes of which we have not had for a couple of weeks, which is the soccer story. Never mind oh. Jack and Ori. What a soccer story. This is when Andy tells us a tale from his playing days of all adult behaviour and libel worthy details removed mm. it's been so long yeah. I feel like there's a soccer story shaped hole in me really I would like you to this isn't going to work carry on right this uh, you say adult yeah, yeah I'll, I'll, I'll phrase it very carefully if you because it's a story that needs telling Family but show. how you tell it it's a bit tricky but I've, I've been working on this one now Howard Kendall Everton had this penchant 
for going to Scandinavia in pre-season or going to Switzerland in pre-season, mainly probably because the weather was absolutely glorious. So rather than go to the South Coast and play pre-season games, we always used to go to Scandinavia. And Switzerland seemed to be a two or three year where we, we consistently went back there in July. And this was a trip that Everton took in pre-season in July. And if you've ever been to Switzerland in the summer, it can be blisteringly hot. You always have this image of it of it not being like that, but it, you think I'm, of the snowy peak. Yes, yeah, but it it was absolutely scorching. It must have been ninety degrees. So we're trying to do pre-season training, and this is a training day. So we travel from the hotel, and we don't stay, usually stay in these little villages. We don't normally stay in the huge big town because we we tend to play like little local teams. They don't do it anymore. They tend to play big prestige pre-season games. When we went to Scandinavia, you played like little just so you can give them a good thrashing, feel good about yourself, <laughs> <laughs> and then go into the season and then get thrashed yourself. So this. This was kind of we, we stayed in little villages and, and played like the local teams. So we, we travelled from the hotel to the to this little. It was just like a, basically it was a football. Pit. It was like a cricket ground with like um the, the hut was kind of it was like a it is like a like a, a cricket setup. So it was like a little wooden pavilion. Like a pavilion, but it was like wooden. It was like a sauna basically. And this is where <laughs> the problem lies. It was basically wood and glass. So we all arrive, and pre-season you take kind of 25 players, don't you? There's a lot of players. So we all arrive, and we go in, and clearly it's not big enough to house us all. So we go into this little changing room to put the training kit on, and it's never going to work, partly because there's too many people in a a small area, and also it's about a billion degrees. So Neville Southall, <laughs> that you knew this was going to be about Neville we Southall. We already had Howard Kendall, now we got Neville so Southall. So we have this little, this little kind of village green kind of thing with a football pitch and everything. So it's so hot, so Neville says... I'm not having this. It's too hot. I can't put on my training kit here. And go. So he proceeds to put on his boots and socks, put the rest of his training kit, all the rest of his training kit, including undercrackers, under his arm. And he says, I'll get changed out on the pitch because it's too hot in here. So he walks out of the... And Neville Southall, how can I describe Neville Southall without being lewd? He's a real man. <laughs> if you know what I'm saying. But we didn't know that by the side of this little pitch, they put up a temporary stand for the locals to come and watch the training. So Neville Southall walks out of the pavilion with his boots and socks on, nothing else on, roll a training kit under his arm, to the whoops and hollers of probably 150 locals who then realise he doesn't have any clothes. Does Neville stop and go back and get changed? No. He walks across the centre of the training ground to where the goalkeepers are going to train at the far end where the net is and just walk stark naked with it all on show swinging here, there and everywhere and as I say it's not something that you can't see and there was there was women grabbing young children cover his eyes oh don't let him see this but Neville at what point do you think this is okay and he walked the full length of the football pitch with no clothes on. Good on Nev. And then proceeded to get changed at the far end, and everyone's. But the worrying thing is, is that we all thought, yeah, a, not that the rest of us did it, but everyone thought, yeah, that's, a, that's about right. But this temporary stand that no one knew had been erected because all the locals clearly Careful would want to come and sit yeah. erected. Would it was the only erection. It, it was thankfully. Oh my God! There could have been an international be incident. Line, oh my the goodness! Line of I didn't say anything, did I? No. Anybody who is either I didn't say anything or has an active imagination, we apologise for the previous three minutes. Yes, we should. We have to have an active imagination to to picture the scene. I tell oh, you what, please don't picture the scene. Under the shadow of the Alps, Big Nev. Sounds like there's a shadow of something else as well. To be fair. <laughs> 
<laughs> oh, what a soccer story that was from Mr. Annie Higgs. Thank you very much indeed. If Neville Southall is a subscriber to this podcast, it'll be absolutely horrified. Uh, before we go then, uh, just a quick reminder to join our Premier League Predictions League. If you can correctly guess the final Premier League table, you will be rewarded with nothing of any monetary value. Uh, here is the URL, by the way, if you'd like to take it down and tap it into your smart device. So you've got to be careful what you say. Don't give anybody any unnecessary marketing. tinyurl.com forward slash set piece menu or you can just click on the link on our Twitter page as well you have until 6 o'clock 6pm 6 on September the 1st at set piece menu is that Twitter page you can also email us at setpiecemenu at gmail.com please do subscribe share rate and review we humbly ask you to continue to find room for us in your podcast schedule thank you to Steve Andy Rory Kevin Ken, Jake, all those people have contributed. Brian to Cox, you Dalai Lama. Dalai Lama. Dalai Lama gets enough, thanks. We'll be back with another set-piece menu for you to enjoy very soon indeed. I'd love to know how many of our listeners are not on Twitter. Um, that's not something that we can do without astrophysicists' help. Can we not just ask them? If you're not on Twitter and listening to this, just drop us. A, drop us an email and tell us you're not on Twitter. Those who are on Twitter have been in touch with us about the, the Prediction League contest. because oh, they, um, they think it's a terrible idea. No, no, they think it's an excellent <laughs> idea, but apparently the chances of getting it right aren't perhaps as, as, as short as we might have anticipated. Go Sporting on. Intel has crunched the numbers on this. The chances of pre- correctly predicting... The finishing position of the 20 teams in the Premier League is 2.43 million billion to one. So How many is, what is you're that? saying is there's a chance. <laughs> <laughs> there speaks a gambler with that? a real problem. <laughs> Dumb and Dumber. That's a great line in Dumb and Dumber. She said, so, so what are the chances of a girl like me and a boy like you getting together? And she says, it's a million to one. And he says, so what you're saying is there's a chance. <laughs> Someone actually centers that quote, of that video, from that it's bit brilliant. of Dumb and Dumber. Absolutely when, when this, uh, when, when Sporting Intel put that, uh, put that information out on Twitter and they, they send it on to us on Set Piece Menu to, to make a point that million billion you don't really have much of an opportunity of finishing with zero points in this my dad when the national lottery came out have you all met my dad no my dad's my dad's a very odd man Uh, (laughs) and although he he is responsible chinch for our lovely turf out there well it it was turf initially yeah and then the dog destroyed it and then Ah. we reseeded that's that's impressive but my dad gets really angry about the lottery because he always says oh people are so stupid was it 14 million to one no he's well, yeah, it's, no, it's more than that. Is it more people, than that? So people are so stupid, aren't they? And I go, why? And he'll, there's always something. It's normally not Scottish independent. And, <laughs> the, um, the, and he'll go, well, nobody ever chooses one, two, three, four, five, six in the lottery, do they? And I say, no, no, Dad, they don't. We've had this conversation a million times. <laughs> and he goes, well, they should do, because it's just as likely as any other combination. But people always think, oh, I'll have 17, 41, 32. They think that's more likely to come up than one, two, three, four, five, six. But it isn't, is it? And I have to say, no, Dad, it's not. It's the same. They're all six individual choices. It makes him really crazy.